Romans chapter 15. And there we left off in verse 13. Paul had been discussing how we in the church need to bear with the weaker brethren to not stumble them. That Christ died, that we need to die, that Christ lived for others. We need to live for others. So not to stumble our brother with our liberty. And then he goes on to talk about how what we're doing, we're doing unto the glory of God. And he says, by the way, it's the same hope that we have for the Gentiles. And in ending the letter here, he talked about how all these promises apply, not just to the Jew, but to the Gentiles. And he quotes out of the writings, out of the law, out of the prophets, the three sections of the Old Testament to confirm that this is not just a spurious scripture, but this is a doctrine taught throughout the Old Testament. Now, we say today that the doctrines are based upon not just some gospel verse, not just upon some verse out of the book of Acts, but we take it out of the gospels, out of the Acts, and out of the epistles. And if it's talked about in all three, you see, then it's a doctrine in the church. So if Jesus taught it, we see it, we saw it lived out in the book of Acts, and then we see Paul discussing it within the church, then we say that is a doctrine that we must adhere to. But there are some practices, for example, we see in the Gospels where Jesus washed their feet, but yet we don't see it practiced in the book of Acts, nor do we see Paul teaching on it in the epistles. So therefore, we do not have the doctrinal practice of washing feet. But you say, Brian, I've been a part of a feet washing service and it was radical. Great. I think that's wonderful. Jesus did it. And if it's an act of worship you can do uh, and encourage the brothers in it, then that's fine. But it's not a doctrine adhered to in the church. But yet we see communion given by Jesus. We see communion in the book of Acts and we see communion discussed in the epistles. Therefore, it's a doctrine. It's something we do. And if the church doesn't do it, we have to wonder about them because they're not adhering to the doctrines of the Bible, you see. And so if there was one verse in the psalm about Gentiles being saved, and that was it, then you'd have to wonder going, okay, I wonder, maybe this is just referring to after the Lord comes back and reestablishes reign upon the earth, you'd have some kind of question about, well, what exactly does it mean, you see? And so the feet washing, I believe it's about that. It's about Jesus washing their feet, saying, I am your master, is serving you. And there also he's talking about the washing being the continual cleansing that Christ will do in his work upon the cross. But yet, is it a practice that must be done in the church? No. Can we do it in the church? Yes. Should we do it in the church? Not necessarily. So I've been a part of feet washing service. I plan on having feet washing service here within the church at various times. Haven't done it in years. We've done it at men's retreats. We may do it this year at the men's retreat. I don't know. But again, it's not something that we need to do, must do, should do, because it's not a doctrine. But Paul builds upon the Gentiles being saved as a doctrine. He takes it from the prophets, from the writings, And from the law of Moses. Now, here tonight, he comes back and he says, this is what it's all about. 
that the Jews would have hope, the Gentiles would have hope, and that we would give the hope, again, as he's talked about to those weak believers, give them the hope by not stumbling them. If they lose hope, this is what we're going to talk about tonight, it's, it's a serious issue. He says, if you continue in the faith, then you have hope. But if a brother stumbled and he's not continuing in the faith, he's not going to have that hope, as we're going to find out in Colossians there in, in just a few minutes. So it's a heavy issue that we don't stumble. Then he's also using this verse as a hinge to say, and for evangelism, leading people unto Christ. It's leading them in the hope of God. And so here in verse 13 tonight, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, now may the God of hope or the God of all hope, the word all in the Greek can, can be put either before hope or before joy and peace. So the old King James says, now may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace. The new King James puts the word before all joy and peace, referring to all joy and all peace. Either way, um, it's just sort of emphasizing. It's not taking away or adding to wherever you put that word all. And I just say, put it everywhere. Now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and all peace. That's, you know, I'm sort of expressive. So that's, that's the way it goes. Now may the God of all hope fill you. May the God of all hope fill you here tonight. We're going to see joy and peace. We're going to look at that in a little bit. But right now, let's concentrate on this part. That our God wants to give you all hope. He wants to fill you up with all hope. Now, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. These three, the greatest is love. And boy, that's a topic that we should talk the most about. But this not... Put aside faith and hope. Hope being one of the big three. Hope is essential for a person to stay alive on earth. Did you know that? Do you know if you take a baby out of the womb and you separate it and it's by itself, it'll lose hope. And then later on you try to feed it and it won't eat. It's dead. If you keep it separated in those first few hours, it loses hope. And thus, it will die. We've had on a number of occasions where men are dead in a foxhole. And when they begin to investigate in the midst of the war, how did they die? Did they get stabbed? Did they get shot? Did scrap metal hit them? And they find on these guys, there's not any kind of wounds whatsoever. How did these guys die? They lost hope. They just said, man... We're out here by ourselves. The enemy's greater than us. Everybody's left. They don't even know we're here. They're not coming back for us. And they lost hope. And they died. When somebody's in a car accident and, and they come to the body of the person, they'll try to get them to not see how bad it is. They don't want to see their leg in an S or whatever, you know. Are there hill touching the back of their head or whatever it might be. They don't want them to see that because it'll just say, oh, there's no hope. I, I'm going to lose my legs or whatever. Or if they come and, and, and they're just traumatized, sometimes they're not necessarily badly injured. They just feel hurt and they're traumatized and they can go into shock because they're losing hope and they have to come and they give them hope. Oh, man, this is great. You're not looking that bad. Man, this is, hope is on the way. I hear the ambulance coming. Hey, 
you know, things are going great. What, what are you, where are you going for Christmas? What's happening this year? They begin to get their mind on positive, hopeful things. Why? Because they can die if they lose hope. Their condition could be helpful. As a matter of fact, it's maybe a very minor surgery or going and plugging up a couple of holes or putting a leg back into a, a brace or something. And actually, they'll come out of it fine. But they'll die on the way. Their heart will just give out. Why? Because they, they gave up. They lost hope. You see people out on a life raft. Their ship is sunk and they're out in the life raft. And, and you can see a person, people... Physically the same. Physically the same amount of food, the same amount of water, the same amount of exposure. But there a person will just die. Slip away. Let go of the life raft and just drown or just die. Why? Because they lost hope. And if you've heard people who have been out on rafts, they'll talk about how they had to encourage themselves. How those moments would come of doubt of just saying, it's too late over with. And they just want to get, and then they got to say, no, hope's on the way. They know about me. It's been a long time. They, they, I'm sure word's gotten. I'm sure the, the captain got the beacon out. They already know that we're out here. They're going to be searching. They're not going to give up. They're on their, and they got to, they, they encourage themselves. And as they encourage themselves, you see, they are able to hold on. Their grip tightens up. Their heart's lifted up. They, they get a strong beat. The blood begins to flow in their body again. Hope. It's important. Now, if you were the devil, we trust that you're not. But if you were, you would think where he would attack. If he can't get you down in purity, if he can't get you off sinning, if he can't get you away from the Bible, if he can't discourage you from church, where is he going to start attacking? He's going to start attacking in the hope. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 6, our helmet is what? The hope of salvation. Do you tonight have that hope of salvation? Now, some would quickly chide in saying, oh, yeah, I feel great. I haven't sinned greatly, and, and I'm really glad. There were some big sins in my life a few weeks back, and, man, I've got them out, and I feel really good right now about my relationship with Christ. If that's your words, I, I am afraid for you. Because your hope, you see, is being placed upon your feelings. And if your hope is based upon physically how you feel, I feel good about myself. I feel good about my relationship with God. Then Satan's going to be able to come because your hope, you see, is not upon that salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Our hope has to be rooted in the facts of who God is, of what God has said, and what God has done. First of all, our hope needs to be in who Jesus Christ is. He is faithful. Even when we're not faithful, he can't deny himself. David had been summoned by the king of the Philistines to go out to battle against 
the Israelites, thinking David hated them when he didn't, but he definitely gave the king that impression. But now that came down to, you see, where he wanted him to actually go in battle, and David's going, oh, no, you know, and the generals of the Philistines said to the king, no way. We're going to have a bunch of Israelites out in the midst of the battle when they see their uncle or their brother or whatever. They're going to turn and they're going to turn against us in battle. So send them away. And the king said, yeah, you're right. David, go back. And as David went back to that Philistine city that he'd been inhabiting, as he went back to Ziglag, all had been taken away by the Amalekites. And the men, these warriors, when they saw that their sons and daughters and their wives and All that they had possessed was gone. And their city was in ashes. They just were in despair. They gave up. And they said, let's kill David. David, knowing that things were bad, himself got depressed and despondent. And the Bible says there that he strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. In the Lord. You see, God of all hope. You see, God is your hope. It's not a matter of God giving you hope, it's God is your hope. I have a hope in Him. I know who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And David, you see, had walked away from God for about a year while he was in the land of the Philistines. He wasn't praying to God. He wasn't seeking God. He wasn't trusting in God. He wasn't living for God. He had backslidden in that time. And now he knows that his roosters have come home to hatch. Is that, is that right? What is it? His chickens have come home to roost. Is that what it is? His chickens have come home. Ah, what is it? He knew that he was reaping what he sown. He knew that he had made his bed. Now he was going to have to lie in it. There's some that I know. But yet, at the same time, he knew God. He knew God would be merciful to him. He knew God would be kind to him. He knew God that would forgive him, even though he had walked away from God. Just like that prodigal son who was in the pig pen. He said, I know my dad. I know he'll receive me back. And he got up to go home. And so we need to learn to have hope in God. He'll always be there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He who began that good work in you, he will complete it. Faithful as he who began that good work, he will do it. You see, he's going to do it. To have that hope in God. Secondly, we need to learn to have hope in the scriptures. In Psalms 119, David there declares to the Lord how embarrassing it didn't get in my notes there but in Psalms 119 David says there paraphrasing a verse that I cannot find it's up in the hundreds there it is Um, 
Yeah, Psalms 119, verse 49 and 50. He says, Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. We need to have hope in God, and we need to have hope in what he says. You're out on the raft. There's ten of you on that raft, and the helicopter comes hovering over you, and, and there he pulls the guys to safety, and five of them have filled up the helicopter. And there you are, as he says, I'm running out of gas. We can't handle any more weight. We'll be back. It'll take us a day or so, but we'll be back. And there, as you see, the helicopter going away. (laughs) Now, if you don't know that person, you might have worry to wonder. But also, if you know, it's a big ocean. It's a needle in a haystack. And Tides can change and, the, and, and all of this. And, and it could cause you to wonder. Well, I know his intentions are good. I know he plans on trying to find me. I know he plans on trying to get back before I die. But he doesn't know what condition us five guys are in. He has no idea to what degree of dehydration we're in. He has no idea to what degree of exposure we've had. He has no degree of what kind of mental facilities we have to remain in hope. So really, it's just sort of a generic thing he threw our way to get us to hang on. But you see, with God, his word is the same as himself. If you can trust in God, then you can trust in what he says. There he says, I'm going away. And the apostles started to lose hope. And he said, hey, 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 don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, then believe also in me. For I go away, I am going to come again. And I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, surely I will come again to take you to that place I've prepared for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be dismayed. And so we can have hope in God's word that he said he is going to come again. He said he's going to come and to save us. So we can have hope in his word. We can have hope in his scriptures. We see there where Abraham had heard that word from God that you'll have a son. And Abraham hung on to that, and he, after a while, thought, well, what God's word says isn't exactly what God's word means. And he went into Hagar and had Ishmael. And God just let things lay for quite some time. And after several years, he came back as Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 90. And he comes back and he says, yep, this is the time. My word's going to be fulfilled. And there in chapter 17, verse 15, God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her, that I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. 
Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born of a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So God says, no, what I've said is what I'm going to do. And how we need to have that faith in God's word. After that, after that, it tells us in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Contrary to hope, but yet in hope believed. Contrary to what hope? The hope of the physical limitations of this world. You see, this is where we've got to be careful. Because we can say, as we look at the limitations of this world, we can say, oh, well, I have a hope in God, but things are bad. Real, real, real bad. The best I can expect God to do is just sort of make things okay in the midst of a bad, bad, bad situation. But no. We need to have hope that brings us to what? Joy and peace in believing. And so we see situations, examples in in Psalms 42, verse 11, where David says, Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the the help of my countenance and my God. So when his heart was disquieted within him, when he was getting bummed out and depressed, he's saying, why are you bummed out and depressed? Hope in God. And he says, yes, I'm going to yet praise him. The joy, the peace and believing. We see there in Psalms 27, verse 13, David says, I would have lost heart. I would have been bummed out. I would have lost my hope, you see, lest I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Jeremiah preached to the people his whole life from a, right out of his mother's womb. He was called by God. In his mother's womb, he was called by God. He continued his whole life preaching. Never did he see a conversion. He told the people, repent or God's going to take you away in captivity. And there he's looking at Jerusalem burnt down. He sees himself now being taken away to Egypt as a captive. And there in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 24 to 29, he says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone, keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. There is Jeremiah is being taken away captive. He looks at Jerusalem burnt and the, and the fires still blazing. He's being carried away going, yep, there's still hope. You see, if your hope is a hope that has your eyes upon this world 
As he says there in Romans chapter 8, if our hope can be seen, then it's no longer hope. But the hope that is unseen is still hope. Why? Because our eyes are upon the Lord. Now, if you are hoping for things in this world to have the best of this world, you're always going to be disappointed. You're going to have happiness. The Bible doesn't say have hope in God that will bring you to happiness. But it says joy and peace. Because happiness is based upon circumstances. You see, you're a salesman. And you're thinking, man, I've got to make a couple of sales this week. And you're an insurance salesman. And, and a guy comes and he says, hey, I need to get a $2 million life insurance policy. And you're going, wow, this is great. Monday morning, I've got this $2 million life insurance policy. And Tuesday afternoon, you find out he's turned down. Oh. I had joy all day Monday and joy all day Tuesday, but 4 o'clock Tuesday, they said he was turned down. Oh, bummer. Tuesday night, you get a call and the guy says, I need to have you insure my multi-million dollar company. We need some fire insurance. And oh man, you go over that night and you fill out the policy and, and you get it all done. And man, you're happy all day Wednesday and Thursday and Friday at noon, you go over to have him sign it. And he goes, I'm sorry, I already signed with somebody else. Cheaper rates, you understand. Oh, now I'm all bummed again, you see. It's a roller coaster. God doesn't want you to fix your eyes upon the things of this earth. That'll keep you in that roller coaster. That's why our hope is leading us to joy and peace. Where? In believing. Believing in what? Believing in the scriptures. Believing in what God has said. Take a trip with me, if you would, through the scriptures. We see there, first of all, in Acts chapter 5. Where they're preaching the gospel and people are believing. And they just healed the man who had, had been crippled. And 5,000 people get saved and... Thousands of people now have believed upon the Lord and then they get arrested. And they tell them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus in verse 40. And then they beat them and they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Now, you would have thought at this point, you see, if they're Hope was on this world. It would have been on the roller coaster. All these people got saved. People are getting healed. How wonderful. Then we get arrested. Then we get beaten. Ouch. Then they say, don't you do it again. We're going to kill you. Oh, no. But notice when they left in verse 41. So that he parted from the presence of the council rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. All they could think about was those heavenly rewards. All they could think about is, man, we're suffering for Christ's name's sake. And Jesus said that when we suffer for his name's sake, remember the Sermon on the Mount? That great will be your reward in heaven. Man, we're getting wealthy already. Jesus has barely risen again. 
The day of Pentecost is very barely gone and we're already stacking it up in heaven. Woo, this is great. We've barely gotten started and we're multi-millionaires in heaven. Boy, and the other guys who didn't get beaten are sort of bummed a little bit going, man, I'm going to preach the gospel all the harder, you know. Obviously, I'm not doing enough if I'm not being persecuted for righteousness sake. Paul is preaching the gospel in poverty and hardship, being arrested and let go and robbed. And, and there we see finally, he gets arrested again and beaten with rods. And in Acts chapter 16, there we see in verse 22, Then the multitude rose up together against them. They weren't too popular. The magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having to receive such a charge. In other words, he was afraid in case they get loose. He put them in the inner prison, down in the deep, dark dungeon where the big rats are. And fastened their feet in stocks, made sure they were secure. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. You see, their hope was in the Lord. Whether they were successful or people hated them. Whether they were out and people were cheering them because the gospel had reached them. Or whether they were beaten and in stocks in the deep, dark, damp prison. They had a joy. They had a peace in believing. I was with my boys last night, hanging out in the backyard with them. And I said, come on, guys, I'll gather around. I'll tell you some stories and begin to tell them some Bible stories. And I said, guys, I, I need to tell you something. Life in America, as you have known it, as I have known it, chances are in your generation it won't continue. Seeing the wickedness of our country, seeing the weakness of our military, seeing the foolishness of our leadership, our days are numbered. And I want you to know that if Another country comes and takes us over. God is still God. If there are times when you are hungry, just remember, so was our Lord. Remember, so was the Apostle Paul. He says, I am that presently hungry. It's okay. God gives us times of fullness God gives us times of hunger. God gives us time of thirst as well as plenty. We've learned to be content with what we've had. That's godly. We also will have to learn to be content in poverty. But I said, if that other country comes in and they now arrest me because I'm a pastor or kill me because I'm a leader, as all communists do. They did it in Vietnam. They did it in Korea. That's the way they do it, because they don't want leaders. Leaders cause problems. They want to kill all the leaders they can. Just because God let your dad be killed doesn't mean he's not God. 
It's just, it was my time to go home. And if you start preaching the gospel and you are turned in by a relative, so it was prophesied by our Lord in Matthew 24, brother will father against son, son against father. It's all a part of the signs of the end times. Don't get bummed. Don't get discouraged. When you are arrested and you're thrown into that inner prison, don't get bummed. God said so it would happen. And in that hour, he'll give you the very words you're to speak, to be a witness. So with Apostle Paul, he was in prison for years. And there he was able to preach the gospel to leaders that never would have heard the gospel because they were never in the marketplaces where Paul was. So God took Paul from the marketplace to the places where the kings were. And in shackles, in imprisonment, there he wrote half of the New Testament for us. You see, Jeremiah says, I would have lost hope had I not known that God is the God of hope. And that it's good that a man bear his yoke in his youth. You know what? There are people that would come to the Lord when things are comfortable, and they have. But there's other groups of people that will never come to the Lord unless life is so hard, so difficult, so despairing. They will never look up to God. And so God will bring despair that they might be saved. So you can learn to preach the gospel when things are great, but also learn to preach the gospel in times of despair to those who will believe in despair. Now say, Brian, that bothers me because I like comfort. I do too. And actually, it makes my heart feel sorrowful to think of some of the things you're saying. You're not where you need to be then. Your hope is not yet fully upon the Lord. Your hope is partly upon the Lord and partly upon the things of this earth. You see, when I think of another country taking over, actually, I get excited. Because I know that stirring things up is the best thing for a country. And when I know church history, when I look upon church history, the times when the most people got saved was in the time of persecution. The time of the power of the Holy Spirit was working is with the time of the persecution. When you had real believers was in the time of persecution. You knew who really was a follower and who wasn't a follower. They weren't fair weather followers. A lot of people are here tonight because there's cute girls. A lot of people are here tonight because it's interesting. A lot of people are here tonight to keep up religious activities. A lot of people are here for a lot of other reasons other than the fact that God is my hope, period. There is no other hope. When Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me, and the multitude left. He looks at his apostles saying, what are you guys around here for? And Peter says, who else has words of eternal life? Where else would we go? There is no other hope in this world. As Ephesians says, if you're without hope, or you're you're without God, you're without hope in this world. It does not bother me the thought of not having enough food. I know God provides my needs today. Give us today our daily bread. 
It does not bother me to think that I would even starve to death. Because I have fasted for a long time. And I know after a few days, your hunger goes away. (laughs) So I have voluntarily done what people may mandatorily make me do. And I know how sweet it is to fast. There's no food, I'll start fasting. If I'm a few weeks into it, it's nothing that I haven't already done. Well, Brian, now you're past the part where you may die if you don't get some food. Gee, I'll have to go be with the Lord. <laughs> there is, there's no concern. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to be a happy camper the whole time. I get irritable and grumpy when I'm hungry. That's why in the first part of the fast, I try to go away by myself. But there's a joy. I just have this joy. Whatever the future may be, there's this joy. Because I know that God has all things in control. We have a sovereign God. Jeremiah says, hey, I've got hope because I've got God. I don't need Jerusalem to have hope. I don't need the promised land to have hope. I don't need the nation of Israel to have hope. And I say the same thing. I don't need America to have hope. I don't need to have sunny Southern California to have hope. I don't need to have a good economy to have hope. I don't need a paycheck to have hope. I don't need to have a house full of food to have hope. My hope is in God. Period. Paul later on is out in a boat and they're being taken and all everybody else is bummed out. We're going to shipwreck. And Paul says, guys, eat some food. Be of good courage. The Lord spoke to me. The ship's going to wreck, but we're all going to be okay. Nobody's going to die. And a few people ate, but not everybody. Some guys tried to get off in the lifeboat and take off. And Paul says, if they get in that boat, I cannot trust that they'll stay alive. The captain believed. He cut the lifeboat away. What was that captain saying? I believe the word of God. I have faith in the word of God. Tonight, some of you may need to cut your lifeboats away. God will cut them away for you. (laughs) Ask our brother Job. God cut away his family. God cut away his wealth. All lifeboats were gone. One servant after the next comes in and says, your camels are gone, your donkeys are gone, your sheep are gone, until he had nothing. The richest man in the world to having nothing. But yet he said, naked I came in, naked I go out, praise be the name of the Lord. He had joy. Then when boils were on the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, his wife said, curse God and die. He said, oh, though he were to slay me, though I would trust in him. If God were to come and kill me, I'm still trusting in him. Just nothing can shake his hope. Nothing could shake that heart of praise and worship and joy saying, God's got it in control. He's got it all taken care of. You see Joseph with that heart of faith in the pit, in slavery, in prison, 
He never lost his hope. He never, ever lost sight of God. So Jeremiah is saying, man, things are hard. Things are tough. I'm being taken away as a slave down to Egypt. But he said, hey, this is probably good for me. It's good that a man bear his yoke in his youth. It's good that a man put his face in the dust and wait for the salvation of God. It's good. This is a good thing. So therefore, I will still hope in God. So some of you here tonight, you've got a good job. And it's good that you got a good job. This is good. This is a blessing from the Lord. But yet, if tomorrow you lost your job, and you didn't have a steady income coming in, this is also good. Because those who are poor, James says, will be rich in faith. We don't just rejoice that we have peace with God, but we also rejoice in trials. Turn over to Romans chapter 5 there real real quick. There's so many verses on hope. I hope we can get through them all. But I... That's not the kind of hope we're talking about, though. But in Romans chapter 5 there, starting in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, what? Character, that Christ-likeness. And that Christ-likeness will produce, what will that, that produce, that character? Hope. See, we're getting to hope, guys. Tribulation, perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope, when you really have that hope in God and in Him alone, that character that looks to Jesus and Him only, what happened? It does not disappoint Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. That's everything. We've got the love of God in us. I have this love for you. I have this love for God. I've got everything. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? You can have all of these things, but if you have not love, you have nothing. Without love, you are nothing. Without love, you have nothing. With love, God's love in your heart, being perfected in your heart, you've got everything. And hope brings us to the love of God, not to the love of this world. You see, if I'm bummed at the thought of being poor, it's because I have a love of money. And if I have the love of money, the love of God can't be in my heart. The Bible says all Love the one and hate the other. Cling to the one, despise the other. I cannot have God and mammon. So if the thought of being poor takes away your joy, you're not yet perfected in hope. But if you say, if I'm poor tomorrow, so what? Who cares? I've got God. I've got everything. Because I've got God then your hope, you see, is upon him. And the Lord may test that, as the Lord has tested it. If you say, man, if I got in a car wreck tomorrow and I lost my legs, man, I'd just rather die. Something's wrong. 
Or for you to say, man, if I got sick, I got cancer, man, I just, man, I just, I would rather just die. I don't want to be, I don't want to have cancer for three years. I, something's wrong, see? If, if your health, you see, is a part of your hope. Your money is a part of your hope. Man, if, if my wife died or if my kids died, man, I, I just, I'd just probably kill myself. I don't think I could keep living without my wife. I don't think I could live without my husband. I don't think I could keep living without my kids. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Your hope needs to be in one thing only, God. And when your eyes are upon him and upon him only, there's a work of God's love that he can do in your heart that he cannot do as long as your eyes are upon anything else. There's a love that God wants to perfect in you. Ephesians chapter 1, or chapter 3. Remember? Let's turn there to Ephesians chapter 3. There in verse 16, that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might, where? Through his spirit, In the inner man. Now we're going to get there next week in that verse in Romans. It says this all happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here again tonight. The riches of his glory in the inner man. That hope, your eyes upon him. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Nothing but Christ in your hearts. Not the love of this world. Not the love of anything else. That you may be rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Guys, think of this. Being filled with all the fullness of God. His love permeating your body. That love that Romans 5 is talking about. How do we get to that love? You've got to first get to the hope. If there's anything that can bum you out in this world, your hope is not in God alone. If you say, man, if I got sick tomorrow, praise God. (laughs) In my sickness, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 12, I will rejoice in my infirmities. That's where his heart was. Man, if I got weak tomorrow, Paul says, I rejoice in my weakness because in my weakness, his strength is perfected. You see, for me to live is Christ. Right now, I am witnessing in strength. Now, if I get weak tomorrow, then I'll be able to minister in weakness in a way I never knew I could minister. Right now, I'm ministering in health. But yet tomorrow, if I got sick or my legs got chopped up and I'm up here in a wheelchair, God will have a facet to my ministry. That I never knew existed. And I just say, praise God. There is a depth in my life I would not obtain to walking. But yet in a wheelchair, not being able to move around so easily, not being able to get all the places I would normally go if I had legs, but being in a wheelchair is enriching me in Christ. And that's all that matters to me. For me to grow in Christ, to come closer to Christ, to be more used by Christ, 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 that's it. For me to live is Christ. So nothing else matters. So I have money. I'm able to minister because I have money. Now I have no money. 
Now I'm going to be able to minister and look to God in a way I never saw before with no money. We're able to serve God in a free America. We have missionaries. We're sending them support around the world. All of a sudden, we have no America. Well, now, as Chinese people (laughs) or Russian people or whatever country takes us over, people who would not hear hear from God as Americans will now hear from God as another culture. People who could not hear from God in a freedom will now hear from God in communism or socialism or whatever the country who takes us over will dominate us with. And my heart rejoices in one thing only, that men come to Christ. Paul says, you standing before Christ is my hope, is my joy. Seeing you in heaven is my hope, is my joy. My hope is upon God alone. If your hope is in God alone, he's going to be able to do what he wants in your life. Fill you up with that joy. Fill you up with that peace in believing. And we didn't get to part two, scriptures. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in his scriptures. And we'll have to pick up there next week. Time is escaping us. So many neat scriptures there that God has given us to hope in. Boy, what a, what a place to live. To be, I, don't, I don't see how people make it without Christ. I would worry myself to death. Literally. I would have an ulcer right now if I weren't a Christian. I know I would. But in Christ, I know everything has a reason. He knows every hair on my head. Every bad thing, every good thing, it's all sovereignly placed by God. And it doesn't affect my joy. It doesn't affect my peace. Because God has it all in control. Well, Lord, there's so much tonight. I know you want to continue to minister to us by your spirit. And Lord, we look to you tonight. Because we know that you're speaking to us. We know there's a greater work in the inner man you're wanting to do here tonight. We know there's doors that are shut. There's facets of our soul that are not open to you that you could permeate those areas with your love because we still have a hope in money. Only I could win the lottery. We still have a hope in relationships. Only if I could get married or, oh, only if my wife doesn't die or my husband doesn't die or only if my kids are healthy. There's that hope, Lord, that we have in America which is desperately failing us now. Lord, let our hope be upon you and in you only. Place our eyes upon you. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, we ask. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.